Yes, good job. There's applause for the announcements. Good job. Hey, good to be back, you guys. Good to be with you. I am very excited to be back here. Um, great stuff that's going to happen today. I'm looking forward to the beach day. I'd love to see some of you guys um, be there. Um, but I, uh, in fact, I'd say this. One of the things I feel like God has been doing in my life over the past probably five or six years has been helping me to understand when I think about some of you who grew up in the church knew this, know this word, this fancy word, evangelism. When I talk about and think about evangelism, the, one of the things I'm finding is that more and more people are appreciative, at least of someone who's willing to enfold another person into their life. In other words, we talk about telling people about Jesus. A lot of times we're so worried about that we're going to have this weird, we're going to, have, we're going to say it wrong or have you know, weird information. People think we're crazy or all this kind of stuff. So we kind of back off on how we're supposed to talk about Jesus. And let me just tell you, what I've learned in my own life is, and my wife is probably the best at, at modeling this, is enfolding people into your life and letting them see Jesus kind of on display in your own life without being weird about it tends to be a pretty attractive thing. And people are longing for relationship and meaningful conversation and friendship. So here's what I just want to say. For those of you who are thinking about, you know, like going to the beach today with us, I'd love, I'm so excited. I can't wait to hang out with you and be there with you and your families and everything else and hang out. But maybe there's people, as Mike mentioned, that are in your neighborhood that are like, they're kind of curious about Jesus. They're kind of curious about the church, but they're not really sure they're ready to take a step into the, the whole, all of whatever happens here with our five walls and all that kind of stuff. Like, what are we doing in this place? So here's what I'd say is, why don't you consider enfolding them into your life as part, just help them be a part, people in your neighborhood that don't know Jesus, not sure about church. Help them be a part of your own life. Hang out at the beach. You know, pack an extra sandwich for them or whatever. Let them hang out. Let them see. I mean, I love talking about our church community. People um, in my neighborhood, even yesterday, I was talking about being here. And I love talking about the people that make up our church community, that who we are is, I mean, it's compelling. It's fun to be around us. So here's the deal. If, if uh, I invite people who are around you, who are in your neighborhoods, come be a part of our beach day. There's no, we're not going to have like a moment where we do like a, okay, everybody, all 150 of us all circle up and hold hands and we're just going to, you know, there's not going to be any, we're not, all we're going to do is hang out together. That's, that's it. So invite people to be a part of it. Here's the only stipulation. If you are a person who has poor people skills and you're a weird person, I'm really excited that you're going to be there, but just don't invite any of your friends. You know, just Christians have a reputation already as being a little weird and a little different, a little kind of unconnected from reality. And if you're kind of one of those people who is weird and unconnected from reality, you can just self-select. Right now, you just go, yeah, it might be me. I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of out there. Then, you know what? Then just don't invite your friends. Please show everybody else who kind of has a clue. You got some social skills. You're aware of stuff. Bring whoever you want. You guys, are you with me? Everybody got it? Okay, great. Can't wait to see you at the beach. All right. Um, like I said, good to be back. I was in Kenya for two weeks, and then I was here for like three days. I spoke on, it was like, I think it was the 14th, and then I was away in Texas for 10 days, and uh, a lot of traveling and flying, and very good to be back. One of the things that's funny is to take my, my kids flying now, because um, they're old enough to where security isn't as much of a nightmare as it used to be, like where you have strollers and two kids and, you know, babies, and, you know, like, I remember they used to make, my, make Amanda, like, drink the baby formula, you know, they're like, we're not sure what's in that bottle, ma'am. We're going to need you to drink that. And so she's got a bottle. You know, it's like all that stuff. That's all over. So our kids are a little bit, it's a little bit more fun to travel with them. My four-year-old, we get on the plane coming back from San Antonio uh, to LAX. And I'm sitting with him. And he goes, Dad, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous about flying. I go, really? He goes, yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm nervous when I fly, except when I'm drinking. <laughs> He's four years old. It's like, oh. Now, <laughs> I just thought. There's a lot of people who would probably say the same thing, son. Uh, <laughs> he, 
He's specifically talking about what he refers to as lemon coke, which is a Sprite. He just is like, he knows on the plane you get to have a coke, and he is like, man, this is the best. I'm only nervous except when I'm drinking. It's like, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> but it is, it is so, so, so good to be back. I am, it was great to be away, and it is really, 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 really great to be back here. So good to be among you, and i um, excited about today's message as we continue in our The Bible series. So I want you to do this. Would you pray with me, and we'll jump into today's uh, message. Father, we are, we are grateful um, to be together. We're grateful for the work that you do in um, helping people to be included into this community. Lord, it's so great every week to meet new people who say, you know, I just was checking this place out and it's so fun to be a part of this place. Father, as we gather, we know that in every circumstance and everybody in this room, there, are, um, there is past pain, there is present pain. There is uh, buried regrets and sorrows. And so, Father, we, um, we pray that today would be a day of restoration, of rebuilding, of reestablishing your kingdom and your right rule in our lives, that there might be healing and health. And so, Father, whether people are suffering physical pain, suffering, or they're suffering emotional distress, relational issues, addictions, whatever it might be, Father, we pray that today would be a day in which you are made clear that your power is made known, that people can find a new sense of life and hope because of your work. So, Father, just as we pause, we bring to you whatever it is in our lives that is hurting and in need of healing. So would you hear us silently? Would you speak to those wounds in us, Father? Father, we know that you can make what is broken whole again. We know that what has been impossibly lost can be rebuilt and found in you. And so, Father, it is in your name, your powerful, healing, miraculous name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, well, like I said, you know, I don't know if you got the compass I was talking about how in the little note that I write, I was just talking about in Texas, you can do only two things, really. You can eat and you can swim in a pool. And that's about it because it's too hot to do anything else. Well, in the airport, we were coming back. It was actually a mild day on the airport the, um, where it has the, you know, the little weather report. And it said 89 degrees feels like 109. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You. Like, it was just, that's how miserable it is. It's just that humid and miserable, whatever. So we're in the pool a lot. And uh, my four-year-old, Scotty, is, uh, he's, he's actually a pretty good swimmer, but he does what lots of kids do, which is he can swim in, in the water beautifully as long as he also can touch the bottom of the pool. Like, as soon as he can't touch the bottom of the pool, it's total panic. Like, ah, ah, he forgets everything. He's choking in little tiny, like, micro swims. And we're like, you big arms, do the whole thing, breathing. But, you know, it's, so the whole, the whole thing when we're in Texas is because we're going to spend six hours a day in, in the pool at least, I mean, minimum, and by the way, I should say my in-laws, uh, because we're at their, their backyard pool, I, I think, I mean, they hyperchlorinate the pool. <laughs> and I think they believe that my kids wake up in the morning and just, they just go out there and use it as a bathroom. They just think, oh, that, you know, my, the, those McGuire kids are going to come out here and just pee everywhere, you know, and they just, so it's like crazy. I mean, you just, 
It is burning pain all the time. But it's the pool, and you either suffer in the heat of the day, or you sit inside and eat, or you sit in the pool. I mean, it's just, you're just faced with these horrible, you know, circumstances. My kids don't know the difference. They're like, Dad, why, is my, why are my eyes burning? I don't know. It's, it's weird. Stop looking at the sun. That's what it is. So... We're in the pool, and I'm trying to get my, my, my four-year-old to be a little bit more confident in his swimming. And so we do this thing, and I realize this is kind of a dad thing, because I know that, like, safety people and, you know, moms and stuff don't like this, but we put, the, like, a, like, a little boogie board or something next to the side of the pool and have the kids run and jump on it and surf it, and, you know, they're awesome, and, you know, you could crack a head. I know, don't, don't send me an email. I know, it, it's dangerous, okay, but I'm crazy. So kids are all doing that. Everybody's doing that, and I'm trying to get my four-year-old to do it, and I kept pushing. Every time he would, you know, go in the water, and I'd catch him and kind of pull him in, and and I'd slowly start moving this boogie board a little further off to the deep end of the pool, you know, like, and pretty soon we're like eight feet from where we started. And now with the water that he's over is actually, you know, five, six, seven feet deep. And he's like, hey, dad, aren't we supposed to be over there? No, we've been over here the whole time. He looks at you like, I, I think I believe you, you know, but I just, he's looking at the whole scenario like there's no way this is happening. And eventually I got him to the place where he's all the way in the deep end. I pointed out to him, I'm like, Scotty, you're in the deep end of the pool. And he has this face like, huh. Yeah, kind of trying to hide his little, you know, joy. And so I, uh, I'm like, why don't you try, you know, so, I, so of course, uh, my other kids are like, hey, can you throw us in the pool? And I'm like, sure, which that, <laughs> that's fun for about eight seconds, you know. And my nine-year-old's like, throw me in. I'm like, okay, <laughs> and I throw him into the pool. And my four-year-old's like, dad, do that with me. I'm like, are you sure? I'm, gonna throw, I'm throwing the kids right into the deep end of the pool. And he's like, no, I want to do it. I'm like, okay, which, of course, when you're four, when he's four, you can like, <laughs> you just feel like Hercules after you're compared to the nine-year-old. You're like, okay, woo, and I throw him into the pool, and it's way up into the air, and he goes, he jumps, he swims over to the side. I'm like, way to go, Scotty, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's so scary, I love it, you know, and I'm like, yes, this is so good, and so, of course, then his sister's like, can you throw me in the pool, and she's seven, and I'm like, okay, oh, that was so high, wasn't it? It was just like, wow, that was scary, wasn't it? And, of course, Scotty, I'm one-arming him into the pool, and the whole thing was, his, his whole impression of the pool, particularly the deep end, his whole impression of the pool is that it, it kind of has, it kind of dominates him. That the whole goal for me of the, the trip to Texas in the pool was, I have to have him play, put the pool in its right spot, which is to say that the swimmers have dominion over the pool, not the other way around. And so when we got home, um, my, I, I took all of my kids to our neighborhood pool, and um, my son, is, my, Scotty, is growing in his confidence about the pool. So I take him to the pool, and this is a picture I took on Friday. Check this out. Can you see him up there? Yeah, totally. He's going to be that kid who jumps off a roof into something, though, too. But <laughs> at four years old, so there's like, but you can't see. There's a bunch of people that are like kind of where, you know, down here kind of like all cheering him on and clapping for him and stuff. And I, I got this on video, too. He, he, he jumps out of the pool, and he literally, I mean, he does this uh, spontaneous dance of joy. Like, where he runs, he's like, I did it, get in the face, you know, like, and he does like this, he, do, he literally does like a skip, and you can see him like punching the air and stuff around the whole thing, it is the, be- it is the best, I mean, everybody's cracking up, cheering for him and stuff at the pool, and he, he understands now that the pool is not supposed to have dominion over the swimmers, the pool is there for the swimmers to have dominion over it, to swim in it and enjoy it, and this is what God intended for human beings in all of creation, all of what was created is that human beings created in God's image are designed to have dominion over all things created. Here's what it says in Genesis 1. If you're with us uh, at the beginning of the series, maybe we came across this, is this. Then God said, 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, which in other translations will say, have dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. These are all words of dominion, conquering over. Rule over it, again, dominion over it. Have dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. That's God's intention for human beings. That the world would not overwhelm us, but that we would have dominion over it. We would care about all that has been created. We would have power over it. We would rule over it, but it would not rule over us. But the question everyone in here has, and we started with the prayer in that same sense. You even heard Kim as she was leading this morning. Which is, if that's the case, then how come? For so many of us, it seems as though we, those of us who are supposed to have these sort of rulership over things, how come it seems like we're being dominated so much? The world is a place where people hurt. I, I, was, uh, I was looking this week, I was just looking on, on Twitter, I searched the, the hashtag hurting just to see what I came up with. See if you connect to some of these. Here's a couple of just Twitter deals I saw. We put, go ahead and put this on the screen. Maybe some of you guys can relate to this. I always take it too far. Hurting. Next one. Sometimes I wonder if what you tell me you really mean or if you're just telling me what I want to hear. It's like a teenage girl. Hurting. Take this one out. My life is equivalent to my iPhone battery right now. 6% and on red. That was a good analogy. Hurt in so many places today. How, who, I think I'm supposed to be who. Who would have thought going down a slip and slide would hurt this much? <laughs> hashtag hurting. Hashtag hit by a Mack truck. <laughs> I like this one. Look at this guy's last name, by the way. Mike Uh that's, too, that's just too many consonants in a name, by the way. If I can get this thing started, I'm going back to last night, and I'm going to make better decisions. <laughs> that's a little Back to the Future DeLorean. Hashtag hurting. I love that. The guy even looks like maybe decision number one is have your wife pick out your clothes. It just. <laughs> anyway, but there's something about us. Maybe even in reading this, we kind of laugh a little bit at the pain of others. But maybe as we kind of see that a little bit, we go, there's some kind of comfort in us going, we're not alone in our own pain. I mean, for people who, I don't know who else would search for the hashtag hurting, unless they were also in pain or they're teaching on hurting. Because that's a pretty, I mean, there's something about that that says, at least I'm not alone. That while the world may be falling apart in some way or another, no matter what God intended for it, if it's falling apart, at least I'm not alone in what's happening in it falling apart around me. You know, for a season, we have lives that live pretty great. But we're okay. You know, there's moments where we go, things are working out okay for us. For the most part, most of us have this situation. And then we have, we encounter that moment when the doctor says, hey, I've seen the results. Doesn't look good. Might be cancer. Maybe it's when um, I talked to a guy last service. said, been married for a really long time as adult kids and grandkids and he said wife said the marriage is over hurting we're in texas between um between my trip to kenya and um my trip to texas amanda's grandmother has a stroke 
her life as she knows it is radically altered. In fact, I spent most of the time in, in Texas with our kids, which I loved. It was great. So that Amanda could be with her mom and her grandmother. Hurting. It seems as if, if you're with us in the beginning of the series, we talked about how God assembled the chaotic sort of material of the universe and placed it together in a right order, almost like a Lego set, you know, like a, like a bunch of Legos forming together in some kind of truck or, you know, motorcycle or spaceship or whatever, and that everything's put together in this right order the way that it's supposed to be. And it feels as though the earth has been, or all of what's created, has sort of been dropped. Like the Lego pieces themselves have been dropped in the ground and they've been scattered. And you can still see remnants of what's supposed to be. That there's still something kind of there. We go, I think I can get a sense of what it's supposed to be like. But it's broken. And these pieces that are scattered all over the place are too big for me to put back together. We wonder what happened. The Bible describes what has been undone in the world as something that God intended everything to work a particular way. And that what has been undone, the Bible describes as what's known as the fall. That human beings who are supposed to have their dominion in partnership with what God is doing in the world try to have and work this out that their dominion is about themselves apart from God. And what happens at that moment is that a new ruler over the world comes into play. The Bible refers to that being as the Satan, the, literally translates, the accuser or the adversary. The Bible describes, maybe you were here last week, you heard Kyle talk about this in Revelation 12, that the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. That's the one who is undoing what God intended to be good and right and whole. 1 John 5 says this, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The Bible says that who controls the world is the evil one. That there is an undoing of what God had intended that is progressively going on and on. And yet we kind of think, my gosh, is this what's happening? Is this the message today? We, just, we start off and it just gets worse and worse and worse and that's it? No. What if there's hope? What if there's something else? Because in the midst of our pain, when we ask ourselves the questions, why me? Why not someone else? Why not the really mean people that are in the world? Why not those guys? Why does it have to happen to me or the people I love? In the midst of all of those questions and that hurt and that pain, we want to know if there's something else at work in the world. That someone or something or some, there's some way in which the things that are broken and falling apart can be pieced back together. What God intended for good and order, Satan intends to undo. I was, uh, I, I was thinking about this message this week, and I was, um, I was remembering a show my kids used to watch. I don't think it's even in syndication anymore. I mean, it, maybe it is on the Internet. But uh, it was a show, and some of you might have seen, probably a lot of high school-age kids would have known this, because it, it's, it's like a little too old, but it was, only, it was only on for a little narrow bandwidth of time. It was an educational show called Between the Lions. Anybody seen this show? Yeah, you probably learned a lot of you probably learned a lot of grammar from that show, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you have grandkids, but you, yeah, anyway. Uh, but there is this uh, there's this show. So it's a great show. It's probably, in my ways, in my mind, because my kids watch a lot of kids shows. It was way less annoying than Sesame Street, so we watched it a lot in our house. But they had they had this one segment that described in a very you know it's ridiculous. It's a little kid cartoon way. But I want you to see. I, I think this captures the essence of what God had done. 
what Satan does and what God's project in the world is now presently. Now watch this. Now this is not what this is intended for, but watch this. This is a grammar lesson. Check this out. Watch this video. There is a right order to things in which rhinoceros is. is it, it's, it's not rhinoceri, is it? Do we know? No. Who says it's rhinoceri? Anybody? No. One person's courageous enough to say rhinoceri. And who thinks it's rhinoceroses? Who says they have no idea? Yeah. Rhinoceroses is just hilarious to say, but we're going with rhinos. So here's the situation. There is this girl who's having this picnic, and, you know, she's got to figure out how to contain these rhinos, which are creating chaos, and she zips them into the rhino-proof bag. And then there is this undoing of, this, of the order that's now there by the unpeople who unzip the bag, and out comes all this chaos, and she wonders what will happen, and to her rescue comes the re-people who re-zip. Who place the, the who they think it's, I think even the words is they re-round up the rhinos and they place them into the, into the zip or the, they re-zip the bag. And now all of a sudden, the chaos that was has been restored into an order. There is a re-establishing, a rebuilding, a restoring that happens. This is what God intends to do in his own kingdom, through his own people and in his power that what chaos has been unleashed will ultimately at some day be 100% restored to the way God intended it. And in the meantime, there's this process in which God is still at work in us and through us to rezip the chaos, to restore what has been broken, to restore what has been undone. In other words, what God is doing is reestablishing the right order of things in his kingdom, the kingdom of God. When Jesus began his ministry, the way Matthew records it, it's this. That he starts out by how he gets baptized. And then he's tempted in the wilderness by spending some time by himself out there, 40 days. And then he, uh, he calls his disciples. He begins preaching and teaching about something called the kingdom of God. All, again, remember there's this language about dominion over stuff. And he's preaching about the kingdom of God. And what accompanies this preaching of the kingdom of God is this right restoring of things that have been broken, most notably in something you know, is healing. Here's what it says in Matthew 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. You have this proclamation of the kingdom and the healing which tend to accompany each other. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus had 
an enormous following of people, which you know, not just because he told them about a private spirituality they could have, but because there was this powerful evidence of this kingdom of God at work through him in their lives, most notably in healing. That Jesus began to have a following because there was some kind of restorative work that was happening through him. Now, it wasn't just that he healed people only to attract people to the message. It was something else. In fact, I should say this before I even go any further. Historians, Christian and not, both agree that there was a man who lived in the first century in this, this region called the Galilee, whose name Jesus, who was from Nazareth, who went around preaching and teaching about something called the kingdom of God, and who was attributed to him miraculous healings. And part of what enabled people to follow him was that, that while God may be already present at work, there was something unique about the way he worked through this man, Jesus. And they saw it, and they were magnetized to it. Because the kingdom of God was being proclaimed and then also evidenced by healing. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this. It's on your outline. Jesus was healing, or wasn't healing the sick for the sake of it, Important though the healing itself was, nor was it just a way of attracting people to listen to his message. Rather, the healing was a dramatic sign of the message itself. That message that Jesus talked about was the good news of the kingdom of God. The evidence of the kingdom of God, most powerfully, most tangibly to those people who watched and saw Jesus, was healings. It was a healing. In the book of John, well, most of the time you get, there's a lot of different words for miracles in the Bible. One of the words is the word dunamis, which is where we get the word like dynamite, like dynamic, that kind of stuff. Dynamite means power. And the other word, the one that the, the gospel of John uses a lot, is the word simeon, which is the word meaning signs. In other words, that what Jesus did with these miracles, these healings, this kind of stuff, pointed to something about Jesus. It pointed to the message. It was an indicator or a marker about kingdom, about wholeness being released back into the world. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he has encounters with people who are in need of healing, who are broken, who are left alone, who have been abused, who have been abandoned, and he brings to them healing. Here's one episode, just one instance. It's in Luke chapter 13. We'll be there for a little while if you want to turn your Bible or if you're following along in the outline. We're just going to be here for a little bit. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. Here's what happens. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Let me just talk to you real quickly. What it says here is that there is a woman who is crippled, hurting, but what's attributed to her hurting is a spirit. Now, some of us in the room who are skeptical about Jesus and all that kind of stuff, not really sure about that, some of us even who have been walking with Jesus for a while aren't too sure about what this means. We kind of think we see something like this as well. You know, they don't have modern medicine, so they don't know how to ascribe the pain people feel to what's actually going on there, so they talk about it only in terms of the spirit. Because if they knew about medicine, they wouldn't do that. They would talk, they would talk about it differently. Well, the only problem with that is that means Jesus, who presumably would know stuff, 
is knowingly deceiving people about a truth. Oh, no, no, it's not really, it's not really, it's not a spirit, it's something, but let's let them believe it's a spirit. In other words, Jesus believes that what's actually causing the pain of this woman, who is not walking upright, is actually a, something evil. If you remember, as we began the, series, began the, the, the message, that, that it's not, it, this, this evil one is controlling the whole world, which means that the origins of pain and suffering and chaos in the world are evil. That there is, the undoing of the world isn't just a random undoing of things sort of falling apart. It is that there is the chaotic force that's within the world that causes pain and suffering has its origins in evil. And this is a woman who has been crippled. She's not walking straight. She's walking with a crooked back. And people are not intended to walk with crooked backs. They're intended to stand up straight and walk straight. And there is something about this this woman, Jesus says, that it's not as it should be. And he attributes it to evil. Verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. I find it incredibly compelling that the words Jesus uses to describe her now state of no longer being sick bent over, crippled, are the words set free. In other words, there was something that had dominion over her which had kept her captive in pain. And he describes her healing as being set free, being released from captivity under the dominion of nobody else or nothing else. If you talk to people, maybe, you're some, maybe you are this person, If you talk to people who suffer from chronic pain, they will tell you about how it feels like being held captive. They'll tell you what it's like to be constantly trying to manage this captivity of pain in their own life. And just maybe, as Jesus talks about it, as we think about it, that the origins of that kind of captivity are in evil, in the chaos of undoing what God intended to be right and good. And Jesus looks at a woman and says that the right restoring of all things to be as they ought to be is that she would be set free. That there would be restoring and rebuilding and freedom. Now, this is a woman who is not indefinitely healed. She's not still walking around the earth like, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus did this healing on my back. I'm still... She eventually managed to die like everybody else. But there is this moment where this, the power of God reveals something about his kingdom in the present reality that is a restoring power to say, look what is still coming. God is is at work now in the present and in the future. And in the future, there will be a time where there will be no more suffering and there will be no more hurting. And in the present, we begin to see God just pointing little peaks at what's to come about what will eventually happen. And Jesus heals this woman saying, this is a marker of God's kingdom reality in the present world. Verse 14. Indignant, this happens to Jesus all the time, by the way. Indignant, be, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, uh, there's six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Like, this always happens to Jesus. He does something on the Sabbath, there's healing, and then everyone's like, no, 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 we can't do that. Total moment where they do not see the forest for the trees. Like, did you not see the woman who was bent over for 18 years or whatever with the crippled back? And No, no, we don't do that on Sundays. Or what it's, the Saturdays would have been there. You know, we don't do that. 
Jesus has this kind of moment with these guys that happens all the time. Verse 15, he says this. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it, to, lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be set free on the Sabbath day from whatever bound her? If you're following along, now again, some of you, this is kind of new stuff for you or it's a little weird for you. I totally get it. What I want you to do is this. If you have your outline, you brought a pen or maybe even your Bible, I would underline. This is kind of surprising. Whom Satan has kept bound. Jesus directly confronts the synagogue leader saying, the reason why she's suffering is because she's under the dominion of something else that is not for order, that is not for right worship, that is not for wholeness or togetherness. She's under the dominion of someone who is out for chaos and disorder, who seeks to bring about pain and suffering and captivity. Jesus says, it's Satan who has kept her bound. And now she's been set free. Verse 17. When he said all this, his opponents were humiliated. The opponents in this case are the religious leaders who are trying to keep Jesus at bay, who do not want to see healings happen. The problem with healings for a lot of people is that they don't make sense. And oftentimes you see Jesus confronted by people when he conducts a healing who say the only way this could happen because it's so crazy is if you're in league with evil, if you're kind of connected to the evil stuff going on because there's no way healing happens. His opponents say, oh my gosh, we've just been humiliated by this person who speaks with authority and who has command over the things that are binding people in evil. He says, there is a new freedom and a new restoration. Continuing on in verse 17. It says this, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. The people, the regular people, People who are suffering physical pain, emotional pain, psychological distress, relational issues, addiction. The regular people like us, they were pretty delighted that there was a hope for the brokenness that they experienced in their own lives. They may not have understood it. They may not have fully grasped all that was happening. But what they said was, you mean we don't have to live like this forever? There is a way in which there can be a breaking through a placing of things that were once broken into order again. See, chaos and disorder have their way in the world, but that's not, they don't have the final say. Even in the little dumb analogy with the, you know, the, between the lions, the re-people have the last word. Re-people, the, the restoring is always more powerful than the undoing. And Jesus is saying then, there is a freedom that gets to be had for people who are restored in me. What's crazy is, Jesus had a a few followers that wandered around with him. And four chapters earlier, he tells these guys, his followers, the disciples, and right as he sends them out, they become apostles. He tells these guys this crazy thing, which is so unbelievable. He says this in Luke chapter 9. He says this, verse 1. When, he had, when Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority, dominion, 
to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The ministry is the same. Talk about this kingdom. Show evidence of it by the healing of the sick. You see, Jesus gives to his own disciples, those who walked with him, who saw him do things. And you can imagine, they watch him do a bunch of stuff where they're like, this is awesome. So glad we're connected to this guy. And then he turns around and goes, hey guys, you get to do the same stuff. Uh, you, you want us to do, you're sending us out to do the same thing? And he's like, yeah, I want you to do that. I give you authority to bring about healing and proclaim this thing, the kingdom of God, with these signs that people would know that it's for real. Okay. And they go. Verse 6 is this. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. The ministry of Jesus' disciples was one in which they talked about and healed. That was what they did. That was what they understood, what it meant to follow Jesus. Talk about this kingdom and live it out with people seeing God, God's kingdom breaking through into the present reality and pointing to a future one, which has not yet happened. See, the kingdom of God is, collect, is connected to this miraculous work of God in and through us. Today, what I want to do is this. Today is about finding restoration. It's about finding rebuilding. It's about reestablishing what God, had, what, what God had intended, what had been broken apart through the chaos of this, own, of this world. You know, when we talk about healing, it has a bad reputation. It has been manipulated by people in the church for a very long time. It has been talked about as a sort of magical formula that the church holds, and there's a way that you have to... Con- there- there's people who have been who put on elaborate sort of group dynamics and try to mind games to get people to feel as though they were healed. The church has a reputation for having people fake it, that they believe that they're healed and that they're not. But here's what I want to tell you about what healing is. Healing is about seeking God. It's about allowing him to release us from captivity. Healing is not about a magic formula. We don't wield magic formulas here. It's not what we do. It's not about a potion or a spell or anything else like that. It's not about making God hold up to his end of the bargain because we say the right words in the right order. You see, healing certainly isn't about faking it. We would never ask anybody to fake something that God might or might not have done in their life. Healing works, it's sometimes in an instant. People come and they seek God's healing power and it happens in an instant, sometimes. I was, um, our, our, we have a longtime babysitter who, um, she started babysitting our kids when um, she was in high school. And she's since gone and graduated from college and she just got back from a, a trip to Nepal on a mission trip. And she's telling us the stories. She says, one of the things they sent us out to do was that exact same thing. I'm like, they sent you out to go out and heal people and talk about the kingdom of God? She's like, yeah, that's what we did. I was like, yeah, sure. So she goes, we went out and we started talking about Jesus. And one guy, we we asked if he needed prayer for healing and he had like a, a broken arm, a bent arm. So she goes, so me and this other person, we lay hands on this person, we put hands, our hands on him and we pray. And she goes, I'm not kidding you. I heard 
I heard and felt his, his arms snap back together. Now, you have to understand, <laughs> as like a pastor, I'm supposed to play it cool. Like, that happens all the time around me. Like, oh, yeah, totally, <laughs> obviously. What else would happen? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm trying to bury it a little. Yeah, no, I mean, but on the inside, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I wouldn't even believe you except that I know you and you've been around my kids and I, I totally trust you. Oh, my gosh, this is for real. On the inside. On the outside, of course. Oh, that's great. What other things did you do? You know, like I tried to be all cool. <laughs> but here's the reality. God's restorative work in the world is still amazing. It is still amazing. Sometimes healing happens in an instant. Sometimes it happens by degrees. Years ago, I was um, praying with, uh, uh, this is a, a high school girl. I think she was maybe a junior or senior in high school. And she came to uh, some of us in the high school ministry at the time, and she was like, hey, would you, would you guys, her parents came, and some people from a church came, and they said, hey, would you, would you pray for her? Her back is just in this degenerating position. It keeps getting worse and worse. And the doctors don't know what to do anymore. They've done everything they can. They've, she's already had a bunch of surgeries. There's nothing else they can do. Would you guys be willing to pray? And I was like, yeah. I was probably 21 years old. So I'm praying for her. I don't, and we have this, you know, we have long prayer time for her, and then um, I don't see her for years. She goes, hey, it's me, I'm back. And, you know, I, honestly, I, I remembered the moment, but I, I, I had lost touch with her, you know, and I, she went on to graduate. This happens to high school students, they, they leave. So she comes back and I said, so how's everything going? She goes, I have to tell you, my back started to repair itself. A year later, we went back to get uh, an x-ray and my back is starting to straighten itself out. And again, I'm like, on the outside, I'm like, yeah, that's so great to hear. And God, so, isn't that so good? On the inside, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, is, this actually happens. This stuff works, you know? And I'm like, oh, no way, this is actually working. God's restorative power, healing by degrees, is still amazing to me. That what the doctors had said, this is undone. There was no other way this can be repaired. We began to see over the course of time a slow repair of her back. And sometimes, when we seek healing, God does not heal. And I do not want to give to you a reason why. I don't want to try and answer the question of why he doesn't. I just know that he doesn't always do what we want him to do in the time we want him to do it. There are some who will tell you that the reason why you know, God hasn't delivered to you a particular kind of healing is because of your own fault. Because you have a you have, you, you, there's something about you that you're not doing right, that you're not saying the words right, you don't believe enough, whatever it might be. And let me just tell you, that has created so much guilt for people who follow Jesus. And I believe that guilt is a tool that Satan would use to continue to keep people captive. It is not that God looks at you and says, there is a guilt, you are a guilty person, so I cannot heal. I do not know why God doesn't always heal. I just know that he doesn't always do it. And some of you are in the room and you're going, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm sure not sure if I, I, I want to do, I, what do we do? This is crazy. I came to crazy town today. And I get it. it maybe it is crazy. Because in a moment what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to consider those areas of your life that are in need of restoration, that are in need of rebuilding, that are in need of reestablishing God's right order in your own life to bring about healing in your life. I'm going to ask you to think about those things. Some of you already have that in your mind, and others of you think, I don't believe in that stuff. I'm not sure about it. I like that Jesus says about being kind to people and 
loving each other and I get all that, but the healing stuff, I'm, I don't know. Let me, just, let me just throw something out to you. You came in here skeptical about Jesus. You came in here skeptical about his healing power. If you were to come forward, there's our team of prayer people are going to be up here praying in a moment. If you were to come forward and be prayed for and nothing were to happen, you would leave here no different than you came in. You don't lose anything. But what if God's power might be revealed today in you in a miraculous and surprising way, then you gain everything. It may not happen, but if it does, you are so much better off for having come forward and seeing God do his work in your life. Whether that healing is for physical pain, emotional distress, psychological pain, addiction, a broken marriage, whatever else it might be, we believe in God's power to restore what is broken. Here's what it says in the book of James. This is probably the most famous sort of healing kind of passage. Here's what it says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So here's what's going to happen. Our prayer team will come forward and they will pray on the authority of Jesus for healing in your life, whatever that healing might be, of all varieties of healing. They're gonna, what they'll do is they'll ask you, can I put my hand on you? Just to, this is kind of what we see in the Bible is that people put hands on each other when they're praying for each other. And if you don't want them to, you can decide rather you didn't. If you have a specific physical healing issue, they might, you know, like if you have an ankle or a knee or arm or back or something, you know, it's appropriate to touch you there. They'll ask you, is it okay if I put my hands on your ankle or your knee or your shoulder, whatever it might be. And again, you have to answer yes or no. And then what they'll say is, is there anything that you and God need to do with each other? They'll give you a moment of silence that the Holy Spirit speak to you and to speak to them. And it will be sort of a moment of, of quiet. And then what they'll do is they'll pray for you and they might anoint you with oil. Anointing with oil, just let me tell you, it's not magical oil. This isn't a potion. You know, we didn't, these aren't all, you know, olive oil from every olive from the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, this isn't like, this, this isn't magical oil. It's oil as a symbol of God's presence among and with us who is already here. And they're going to pray for you in Jesus' name. That you would find healing and hope and restoration. It is a courageous and humble act to come forward and say, I'm broken hurting. My life isn't all that it ought to be. Someone has dropped the pieces and the pieces have scattered and I need some help to put it back together because it is beyond me. And that's what we do together as a family today. So would you do this? Would you close your eyes for a moment? Our prayer team will come forward as we're, as we're praying but, and the band will come out as well. But would you just close your eyes for a moment? Father, we are aware that while we might get dressed up and comb our hair and get our kids all set up and then come to church and put off an air that says everything is okay, there's parts of our lives that are in need of healing because there's been wounding. Some of it our own fault, some of it the fault of other people. Father, we are a group of people who have been beaten down by a world sometimes that is chaotic and painful, and evil. Jesus, we need your restoring power. And we believe on your authority 
that you long to see us restored, to be given new hope, to be given new life. Father, for just a moment, kind of like we did at the beginning of the, of the service, we pause that you might speak to us about the inner brokenness within, that you might speak to us to say, here are the things that I want to bring healing for in your life. God, what are those things? Jesus, we are so grateful that you would come to us and call us your children, that your longing for us is that we would be set free from the captivity of whatever pain might be in our own lives, whatever suffering and hurting, regardless of the variety that it is. Father, we long to be, to be free, and we need your power and your hope. And so, Jesus, we come before you that we might find healing and that evidence of your kingdom might break through right now in this place, Jesus. It is in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.